Stand up and raise your heads. Your redemption is drawing near. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. On the earth, distress among nations, people fainting from fear and foreboding of what is coming upon the earth. Don't we have plenty of that? From global warning to, from global warming to incidents of gun violence? declining life expectancy in no small part in this country due to opioid addiction. In this country, an increasingly divided and embittered social and political landscape. And around the world, irreconcilable differences everywhere you look from Israelis and Palestinians to Sunnis and Shias, French yellow vests and their government. China in the U.S., Russia in the U.S., oh, U.S. and anybody. And, and then there, and there's college football. Well, okay, first of all, congratulations to the University of Central Florida. But then, and I'm sorry I don't see Choppy Drain, nobody can seem to stop Alabama, and it's just wrong. For those of us shaped by and tuned into the biblical account of things, the distressing signs that are all around us are signals, signals that as Luke chapter 21 verse 28 puts it, your redemption is drawing near. They're not signs that things are out of control, they're signs that God's got this. Redemption is an interesting word. In the Greek, it means literally release from. The premise of the need for a redemption, a release from, is that this world is not neutral turf. Each one of us is born into a world that's in captivity. And we are born into captivity. We are prisoners from day one prisoners of death, prisoners of decay, of destruction, of dissolution. And as our parents used to remind us, no, child, life's not fair. Deal with it. But the Bible counters our parents' truism. God will make it fair. The world will be released from what the Apostle Paul calls in Romans chapter 8, verses 20 through 22, the world's subjection to futility, its bondage to decay, its groaning in labor pains. You yourself will be released from captivity to others who harm you. You will be released from captivity to your own inclination to harm yourself, however you do it. 
constantly finding yourself in bad relationships, violating your conscience in what you do with your body, giving yourself to one addiction after another, whether it's alcohol or food or buying stuff, even the captivity of just giving up of waking up day after endless day, pulling the covers back over your head and saying, nope, not even getting up. No, the Bible insists, the Bible insists that none of those captivities own you, none of these captive, uh, none of those captivities owns his world. Under arrest in Jerusalem, and awaiting the imminent destruction of Jerusalem, the city that he loves, Jeremiah foresees the commencement of what will be 10, 70 years of a Babylonian captivity due to the failure of David's dynasty. Nonetheless, Jeremiah boldly predicts a righteous branch will will spring up for David. The grip of the captivities that hold us all and hold our world started to become loosened 2,000 years ago when God himself took the field and became one of us. Or as Eucharistic Prayer A says, to share our human nature to live and die as one of us, to reconcile us to you, the God and Father of all. This same God and Father to whom we further pray in the words of Eucharistic prayer B, today's prayer at the Eucharistic table. In the fullness of time, put all things in, in subjection to your Christ and bring us to that heavenly country where with all your saints, we may enter the everlasting heritage of your sons and daughters. Here, friends, is the whole point of this season of Advent, of adopting a posture of waiting. If that story has come to inhabit us, we face the craziness within ourselves and we face the craziness in the world around us with a certain patience, a certain equipoise, a certain aplomb. Okay, here's where I have to tell you the story of Ty Cobb and the five-minute downstay. Uh, most of you know that I learned most of what I learned know about myself and about ministry, either from Disney's version of Winnie the Pooh and the Friends of the Hundred Acre Woods, or from training dogs. Well, today it happens to be training dogs. And many of you know that uh, at one point I had this amazing um, English setter named Ty Cobb, who was the number one English setter in obedience in the country a number of years ago. And Ty Cobb was just amazing, and I learned so many things from him about what it is to be a follower of Jesus Christ. 
one of the most difficult things to teach the dog in obedience is to lie still for five minutes with his handler having left the room. Five minutes is a long time. So we're going to take five minutes now. Nobody say anything. Everybody just sit there. Go. Okay, I'm just kidding. (laughs) But five minutes of doing nothing is an eternity. And for a dog, when the handler isn't there and they're in a line of other dogs with all kinds of possible things to do and noises to respond to and things to check out, it's, it's a tough skill to teach. So here, so the way you do it is you start by sitting, lying, having the dog lie down at the end of a leash. Down, stay, good dog. You might even tug on the leash a little bit. Make sure that they're going to pull back. Good dog. Let's try that again. Good dog. And then you might have a longer leash, go a little further, off the leash, but the leash is still there, just reminding him that you're, you're there. And then you go, start to go in further and further back, and then you enlist co-conspirators, co-conspirators who might stand behind them and yell, hey, what's going on? Hey, Reggie, what's up? Or walking in front of the dog, now, by this point, you're some 50 feet away. And somebody come up and dance in front of them. And whoa. The dogs, their one job is to just go, keep going. I know he's coming back. Or somebody might be, one of your co-conspirators might be over here and just toss a ball. Doink, 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 doink. And a dog might look at it and then, no, I'm not going for that. Or even worse, just bringing some dog food along, some treats, and just dropping them in front. Oh, yeah. You know that you've got a really good dog when a dog is impervious to any of that. And literally what you would do in the competition ring is you'd leave your dog there, and you would go out of the building, and you would sit there, and you would wait, and you would trust that the dog hasn't forgotten you. You trust that the dog believes that you haven't forgotten them and that there's nothing more important than waiting for the handler to come back. And when the handler comes back, it's just going to be, oh, big hugs and treats. And Notice that Jesus says... Two things not to let you get distracted. Two things not, I can't even get this sentence out. Two things he warns us about in the meantime while he is out of the room. Two synonyms for getting drunk. Dissipation and drunkenness. Because it's real easy to distract ourselves, medicate ourselves, cope with all the stress, all the anxiety, all the anger out there by just kind of going away with, with help. The other thing he warns us about is being, is being preoccupied with worldly things and just feeling like 
Well, either I just get so busy to distract myself from all the stuff that's going around, or somehow I think I'm going to fix it all. When my real job is to stay focused and to keep my head up because redemption is coming near. Now, of course, it's not a perfect analogy because between now and when our Lord comes back in the room, well, we're going to have to eat. <laughs> and there are going to be good things that we can enjoy. And we all are given certain callings and places that we can address the world's needs and goods, and we need to do them. But in the midst of it, the posture that Jesus wants you and me to have as we go into this Advent season and, and drink in its lesson is we know that he hasn't forgotten us. We know to ignore the distractions. We know he's coming back to us. And that, that brothers and sisters, is precisely we, why we can bring to the world's aches our attention and what expertise we have to offer. We bring equilibrium, we bring patience, we bring the refusal to hysteria, we bring the refusal of despair and of being overwhelmed. And in the meantime, we can receive God's good gifts as gifts. We can receive them as gifts, not as escapes. As someone once said of the table of the Lord, to which we are coming momentarily, some people drink to forget. We drink to remember. And so we receive the wine, and I invite you today to receive the wine as we receive all of God's good gifts, not to forget our troubles, but to remember His goodness and His promises. And to echo Paul's prayer, May the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all, just as we abound in love for you. And may he so strengthen your hearts in holiness that you may be blameless before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. Amen.